Hi, welcome back to Crazy Fades Talk. I'm Sarah. Hi gang, it's Erica, and we're in the midst of a series on women in the Bible who are heroes of the Bible, not just for other women, but also for, for all people. And so we've, we've looked at several Old Testament characters. We've looked at Esther and Ruth, uh, Miriam and the midwives from Exodus. And now we're jumping over into the New Testament, and we're going to be talking about a couple Marys in these next few episodes. Our first one is Mary Magdalene, and I'm going to turn things over to Steve to have him kind of jump us into this episode. Hi, I'm Steve. I am also here. <laughs> It's it's great to be with you all. Yeah, like Erica said, we're in the midst of a series on women in the Bible and their roles as heroes for all. Uh, and so t- today we're going to be taking a look at a figure. She shows up in, I believe, all four of the Gospels. Um, and primarily, uh, we get most stories around her presence in the, the last few days, the last week of Jesus' life, the death and resurrection stories, uh, where she has a pretty key role in like Christianity happening, uh, but gets introduced much earlier on as someone who's been a follower of Jesus from quite early on in the ministry as well. So Mary Magdalene, the the figure, the person who's called Mary Magdalene, is the person we're going to be talking about. Um, And uh, we may be going to a couple of different places in the Bible in in the conversation today. So unlike, say, Ruth, you can find her story in the book of Ruth or Esther in the book of Esther. We're spending time maybe in several different Gospels, but Mary, uh, who's called Mary Magdalene, is going to be our conversation for today. So maybe a place to, to start is where, where do we first run across this person uh, in, in the scriptures? And I'm thinking it's, it's, it's much earlier than the early on the morning of Easter Sunday, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. In Luke chapter 8, um, we have Jesus. It says in verse 1, soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from, uh, who from seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod, steward. Um, somebody help me. My, my Hebrew names are bad. Chuzra? Chuzra. That's a guess. Put, put that on the list of keeper names right there. <laughs> and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So this is where we first come across Mary Magdalene in the Gospels. And... Um, I'm not certain, maybe a whole lot doesn't hang on this answer, uh, but um, I have heard uh, that the name Magdalene is likely to be sort of a, uh, an origin, sort of a from mm-hmm. like a village or a town yeah. called Magdala yeah. or something like that. So again, unlike, say, our predisposition to be like, oh, this is her last name, and you know, her parents were like Fred and Ethel Magdalene. Unlikely, um, except to the extent that in the ancient world, if you had a last name, it was either your family occupation or the town that you were from yeah. or something like that. But so this is Mary, you know, the one from Magdala. And so that's that's where she she gets that that title or that name from. And maybe even as Luke is introducing these women, uh, he takes the time to say, Mary, you know, the one from Magdala, because this is a common name mm-hmm. in first century Judaism, and so therefore because Christianity emerges out of first century Judaism, this name is going to be an important one. And most likely, I'm thinking, uh, tell me if this sounds right in your collective recollections, that um, this is probably meant to be sort of an, an, an echo back to the Bible hero we, we talked about before, Miriam, that this this uh, this name Mary is probably of uh, some sort of a first century uh, Aramaic form of uh, Miriam. The way that like even Jesus' name is really 
Yeshua, which is a, a form of Joshua, that what mm-hmm. we pronounce as Joshua, and that uh, a number of figures in uh, the the Gospels have names that are sort of that are callbacks to those figures from the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, I've even read people who suggest that first century Judaism is sort of this hotbed for like. God's going to do something big sometime in our time, and like this fervor that like people would name their kids in, in the the names of those great famous names of the past, and sort of almost this like deep faithful pious like God's going to do in our day what God might, and that might be a little bit speculative, but that at least the reason we get Mary with the sectant moniker Magdalene is because there's other Marys floating around. Even in Luke's gospel, we'll get the mother yeah. of Jesus, we'll get Mary of Mary and Martha. Um, Mary and Bethany. Yeah, yeah, and it's sometimes hard to tell like keeping your Mary straight. We might have to have sort of like a little chart of consulting who, who are our Marys here. Yeah, because not only is this Mary of Magdalene, but also this is the Mary whom seven demons had been cast <laughs> right, out. Like, right, right, right. For sure, it's it's this Mary. <laughs> the Mary who has no more demons anymore. But, right, right. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that this is the first description of this group of women and that Luke sort of says um, not only do they go around and follow Jesus and join him in sort of this ongoing sort of moving object lesson that is Jesus' uh, ministry, but that they're like subsidizing this, uh, This like Jesus doesn't have another day job. There are other people, you know, Paul eventually famously, you know, continues doing his day job while he's preaching the gospel later on, but uh, Jesus seems to be uh, supported by the financial contributions of these women who are important enough in Jesus' inner circle that they're subsidizing this uh, as well as they're going along, presumably, as disciples, uh, along with Peter and James and John and all the rest. So the fact that these women you know, have finances, this is very unusual for this time period. Typically women, you know, they're the daughter of their father, they're the, the uh, spouse of their husband, or the mother of their sons. And so all their money typically is associated with the men yeah. in their lives. So we have this group of women here where I'm guessing, you know, we don't hear about their husbands necessarily being followers. Right. So we have a group of women who have made something of themselves. Yeah. And that's very uncommon, very unusual for this time period. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, while I can't speculate, where where did uh, Mary Magdalene or Susanna or, or Joanna get their funds from? They, they clearly have some that are theirs yeah. to do with as they see fit, and they support Jesus. And and interestingly, I mean, like, when, when Luke gives his listing of people, women who are following, they're not all, like, the spouses of the, you know, other male disciples. So it's not like, you know, Andrew's wife came along because... He was coming. Uh, but these are people who are named independently, which is a, an interesting collection of people then who are following Jesus. He didn't just pick married couples and say, all right, bring your spouses along. It's sort of spouse retreat or something like that. But uh, that there is all sorts of people are following Jesus uh, and sort of independently as their own, mm-hmm. not just, well, my husband may become or my wife may become or something like that. In fact, the only one who has... A husband named is Joanna, and her husband is Herod Stewart. So presumably, he's not coming along for this trip because yeah. he's kind of busy taking care of Herod. Yeah, <laughs> and and th- that's an interesting detail to me too. Not to spend too too much time on Joanna when we are advertised. <laughs> the focal point is Mary Magdalene, but like to think about how broad Jesus' movement is that. 
Herod, like Herod who emerges as an enemy of Jesus and who makes himself an enemy of Jesus early on. It's not too much further into Luke's gospel that someone comes up to Jesus and says, you know, Herod's trying to kill you. Um, and that it, it's amazing to me that Jesus has this movement that draws Simon the former zealot, you know, who's on the, 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 the side of the spectrum of let's burn it all down to the ground and fight off the Romans with, a, with an army. Uh, and then you get uh, people who are clearly closely associated with the, the powerful people of the day. And that Jesus' movement can include people from all those different directions, um, and somehow he kept them from killing each other. I mean, like that—that's an impressive thing on Jesus' part too. But like something about Jesus' movement drew and appealed all these people from all these different directions and angles and walks of life. Uh, and maybe it's also significant that when Jesus does end up in front of Herod, he doesn't pull, like, favors. He doesn't go, you know, one of my followers is married to your steward, Herod. You know, how about you let me? There's none of that. There's just Jesus, like, owns it. And, like, when it comes to confrontation with Herod, he, he's willing to do that without, you know, weaseling his way out. But So this is the kind of community that Jesus has surrounding him. The other interesting thing about this community is, in this day, rabbis were followed by men. Yeah. And only men. And here we've got a rabbi, a teacher, um, who is not only followed by his 12 disciples, you know, but this group of women as well, who clearly it seems, not only from this text, but from others, that these women aren't just on the sidelines providing food and and cooking and doing all those, you know, womanly things that they would, you know. These are women that are, are sitting at the feet of Jesus that are learning from him just alongside of Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples. Right. And maybe that's helpful, too, to remember, like, when, when we talk about Jesus having, you know, this inner circle of 12 disciples, that's probably a symbolic action on Jesus' part. It's meant to be sort of a suggestion. Jesus is creating a new Israel, a new way of being mm-hmm. the people of God. And that, that even, it's not just that there were 12 men, because later on he sends out 70 people. And, you know, so there's, there's later inner circles that are bigger than just 12, that it's almost like that number is meant to be sort of the symbolic act, like the prophets in the, in the Old Testament do these sort of symbolic things that are meant to sort of say something about their mission in the world. But Jesus doesn't think that those 12 guys are the only ones who are smart enough or bright enough to get it. Most of the time, they can't find their way out of a paper bag. Uh, and and it's it's folks like, uh, you know, it's Mary Magdalene, it's Joanne, it's, it's Martha uh, and, and that Mary uh, who seem to be more, more in tune with or on the wavelength of what Jesus is all about. So that, like, later on when we get to a story about Mary and Martha and Martha's the one cooking in the kitchen – Mary does the thing that seems most natural to her. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus like a disciple uh, because that's clearly the relationship she had been invited into with Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, as we're picturing this scene, number one, don't just picture on your mental flannel board that there's only room for 12 men who happen to be there and nobody else. But there's this crowd of women as well and that they are doing the same kind of things, learning the same way that Peter and Andrew and James and, and John are doing too. And um, you you had suggested earlier before we started recording, Sarah, the, that there's likely then, or maybe there's the, the implicit assumption, as the rest of the gospel story unfolds, that um, we should picture in our mind that the these women are there regularly as part of the scene, like from here on out through the rest of the gospel story. Yeah, throughout the rest of the gospel, Jesus has his following, you know, for sure the 12 who are mentioned by name frequently, mm-hmm. but then also just kind of the faceless crowd of his disciples and that these women would have been part of that group so that throughout here from until you know through the resurrection these women are present when jesus is doing such things like feeding the five thousand or healing or teaching or preaching they're still there in the background it's just 
again, they're not they really named. named. Yeah, yeah. But that we should picture as as we get stories of uh, you know Peter and James and John learning stuff or you know trying their hand out and now go out into this village and bring that that the Joannas and Mary Magdalene's are presumably being groomed or taught as well as the James and Johns's and that Jesus seems to be preparing the ground for a community of men and women who will bring when he hands us off to them says now you bring this to the whole world that they're included from the ground level uh in in seeing and and responding to what jesus does in the world yeah well and steve we start off by saying that you know mary magdalene is often associated with the resurrection story Mm -hmm. and anytime you look at the resurrection story in any of the gospels who are the first people that are there yeah who are the first people to actually say the good news that jesus christ is raised from the dead besides the angels yeah yeah it's the women yeah Mm -hmm. and and maybe this is a moment for us to jump into that because this is maybe where we're going to spend the most of our time or at least where like i say mary magdalene gets the greatest screen time Mm -hmm. uh and that it would pick pick whichever of the gospels but she's named among in all four of them as one of the handful of people who's there on that first resurrection morning and that she is charged with in however whatever the particulars of the text uh, say it uh, that she's charged with going and telling the other disciples the so not only is she the one who preaches the first Easter sermon. In a sense, she's the first apostle. I mean, like, and I mean that in like yeah. this foundational sense. We sometimes treat the word apostle like it is only a technical term. Eventually, it becomes this, this technical kind of a term. But the word apostle just comes from the Greek for sent. I mean, so she's the first one who's sent to go to the other people who will be sent as well. But in a sense, that makes her like this foundational, you're the first one who will bring this news to the others, who will then bring it to the others, who will then bring it to the others. Now, uh, Maybe this is one of those moments where the rest of those disciples don't shine so bright. When they first hear the word from Mary, they have a hard time believing it. Uh, but it doesn't mean that she wasn't the first one. She, she really is that first one. And let's imagine that Jesus, being Jesus, had the ability and power to have chosen however he wanted that story to unfold. If Jesus had wanted to go show up first to the men and say, you guys are the only ones who can bring this message, I'm going to you because you have Y chromosomes, it could have gone that way, but it doesn't. The story, And notice in, like in all four of the Gospels, it's not that Mary gets there and sees Jesus first. I mean, in, in most of the Gospel stories, Jesus' body isn't there. They see an empty tomb and an angel says, go tell. Mm-hmm. Maybe John later on gives us that scene of she's hanging out at the tomb later on and Jesus appears to her. But it's not that, well, of course they they brought the news first because Jesus appeared to her first just by chance. But this is a chosen sort of a, you marry, you go and tell these men and they go out and tell everybody else. And to think because women were not believed with these kind of things, Mm -hmm. you know, um, women weren't believed about a lot of things in this time period. Let's be honest about that. Um, For me... Um, partially as a woman, but just for me as a Christian, this leads to credibility mm-hmm. to the truth of this story. Because if they wanted, you know, if the early disciples, if the early writers of the Gospels wanted um, us to truly believe that this has actually happened, why would you put women in the story? If you like, if you were if inventing, if, if you were inventing, inventing a... it, yeah, if you were inventing the story, why would you put women as the first ones to preach this? Because really legally in order to have a good eyewitness for the um wow what's that thing called when you go and you get sued like in court Court, Uh court. (laughs) (laughs) um you have to have two adult men Mm -hmm. to be an eyewitness um it can't be just one man or one boy it has to be two men so not even a woman so this moment when jesus the tomb is empty 
and it's women that's going forth to proclaim this good news, mm-hmm. it's not something that would hold up in the court of law. Yeah, and that, that, that point both of you are making is really, really key for like uh, – why why these stories of Jesus' resurrection, one more reason that these are, are for us to be held as reliable uh, uh, stories, because if you were going to invent a story from whole cloth, if you were like, I'm going to make, a, this is going to be an ironclad made-up story, we'll put men at the scene because their testimony would be accepted. Like, if you were going to invent a story, that's the way you'd tell it, mm-hmm. uh, and you'd find all sorts of ways of conveniently covering up any other evidence that Jesus wasn't alive again. But instead, there's this, Women are the first ones there, and uh, nobody believed them at first. I mean, there's this like there's this this raw honesty of this is how it happened, and these aren't the the most uh, credible sounding witnesses to a first century audience. But that's part of what makes this story that much more credible uh, now is because here's here are these and then these women have nothing to gain by making up a story either. I mean, like that that's a, a, another critical thing here too. There's no possibility. Uh, that they are looking for fame and glory and wealth. Um, it, like the way sometimes, like in Matthew's gospel, you get this weird scene where the, the religious authorities are like, you better seal that tomb up because otherwise the disciples, those men disciples, are going to say that he rose from the dead and they're going to start a, 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 you know, they'll, they'll you know, gain a name for themselves. The, the women are not in a position to be gaining any, you know, any of that attention or fame or glory for themselves. Uh, and yet they're the, the ones who are the first witnesses. Uh, in a very powerful way, that's part of why, uh, maybe not the only reason, but it's an important reason why I look at these stories of the resurrection and these are reliable as opposed to just something somebody invented. And because these women obviously have some level of power because they have money and resources to give to Jesus, they would probably lose that credibility that they had to earn that money by going out and saying this. Right. You know, if they they were trying to make this up. Yeah. You know, so again, they have no reason to be going out there and making anything up because they're they're women they are not going to be believed anyways and those people that do see them in a, in a level of power and authority are going to say, um, you just jumped off the deep end. Yeah, yeah. So they have every reason to keep quiet and yeah. every, and no, no, there's no self-centered reasons for them to make this up. So that it's, again, it's like, wow, here's Mary who shows up, here's Mary Magdalene who, who shows up announcing to the rest of the disciples and then to the world that he's alive again. The only possible reasonable explanation is she's really convinced Jesus really is alive again, um, and in a sense, there's this there's this old line of Robert Farrar Capon that sticks in my head that that reminds us that like in our life as church, like all we ever are is the latest runners in a relay race that goes all the way back to you know those first women at the tomb, and it's like they handed the baton to us, and then you know, but there's all these people in between who've just been handed the message here, take it, run it to the next people, run and that. Uh, that we find our place in that chain of people who are just taking that news and spreading it as far and wide as it can go. Um, Sometimes we treat being church like it's a club or we treat it like we're an audience or consumers of a religious product and we're here like moviegoers watching, uh, let's see if the preacher has something interesting to say that entertained me or I like that song and then I go home unchanged. But the New Testament doesn't picture it that way, um, that here's Mary who starts it off, run and tell, go tell as many people as you can. It's not about whether they believe you or not, you just keep telling it and now we're a part of that too. Um, I guess I'm, I'm wondering... Um, what else what else do we make of uh, Mary's role who shows up in all these stories in all all across the gospels um, and uh, that, that that she she has this this pivotal role and then I don't know sometimes gets forgotten that she's a part of the story at all or forgotten that she has this role what 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 is what is Mary's story say for us two thousand years later sort of eavesdropping on her story in the gospels 
I think it's a validation that Jesus gives to her and other women mm-hmm. um, throughout the Gospels that everyone is valued. Mm, everyone okay. is has a level of worth. Because, again, in this time period, women were property, basically. Mm. You know, And so the, the fact that Jesus valued them enough to allow them to resources his ministry, valued them enough to let them sit at his feet... It's, it's showing the value of all people. Mm, okay, okay, okay. And to me, it, Mary's story has to do a lot with God can use anybody to yep. proclaim the good news. Mm-hmm. That there was this brief, shining moment in history where the church on earth was women. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. they were the ones who knew the good news mm-hmm. in full and believed it, that the tomb is empty, Jesus Christ is risen. And it was women that knew that. And granted, it was probably like a half an hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> being in the garden to going and finding the boys. But there was this moment when it was just women. And mm-hmm. women can be the church. Women are the church. Women can proclaim the good news mm-hmm. that the tomb is empty. Yeah. Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm glad that when we started our conversation today, we started with that uh, sort of early mention earlier in Luke that that I hope sets this as it's not just like a random fluke that women happen to be there on the tomb as the first announcers, that Jesus has been creating a community all along that includes women and men as followers, um, and that then it makes perfect sense that these women would have been there as the ones on early in the, on Sunday morning. Because, to be honest, the, the, the named men disciples right after uh Easter Sunday morning they're all shown as like these total chickens like they're 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 hidden inside in rooms and so it's it's not even like that um that the the they they didn't have the theological capacity they were afraid of leaving their room and the women are the ones who are gutsy enough to go out to the tomb and to, what they think is just to anoint the body of their dead rabbi mm-hmm. uh and the reason the men aren't there is they're too afraid to leave uh so it, there's this important way where Mary sort of has this sense of now, I have to think she's got the same level of fear or the, the same risk is there for her. Yeah, she could get rounded up too. If she's been following Jesus all along, they're going to recognize her just like they recognize you know, Peter and James and Andrew and John. But she doesn't let that fear rule her. I mean, she doesn't like, oh, I'm so afraid and therefore I will stay inside this room in behind locked doors. But of course I'm afraid. It's a scary world out there and the Romans are trying to kill us. But we got to go anoint our dead rabbi. You know, we have to do it. And, and like, to me, there's this picture of what genuine courage looks like, that it's not about not being afraid. It's about, yeah, there's scary things, and then I won't be ruled by it. I won't let that stop me from doing what I need to do in this moment. Sometimes it's big, heroic stuff like saving people from the burning building, and sometimes it's very tender stuff like I have to go anoint the body of my dead friend, and then to find out Jesus has ruined his own funeral. <laughs> There, there seems to be a common theme with the women that we've been looking at, you know, Deborah, Jail, Mary Magdalene, where there seems to be, they're very pragmatic mm-hmm. of, hey, I know that we're afraid, this is a scary moment, but this thing has to get done, mm-hmm. so we need to, you know, take a deep breath and we need to just do this thing. You know, again, whether it's leading an army, driving a tent <laughs> in somebody's right. head, or, you know, just anointing your friend who has died yeah yeah and that 
as a as a character trait is something that's worth cultivating across the whole Christian community. Mm-hmm. This is something for, for men and women, boys and girls, everybody to be sort of raised with. Like that's part of what it is to be the people of, of Jesus. And I think maybe that's important because that might be what keeps us from sort of like sliding into the martyrdom, sort of like the uh, we're the only ones who can help, and we just show up, and it's all miserable. No, like it's it's not like we have to pretend we like going amongst you know uh, uh, the sick and the suffering or getting beaten up all the time. But like we do it because that's we're called to go out in the midst of the world where they're suffering and and we go there not because it's fun or because we're secretly sadists who like to suffer but more like we're going where Jesus sends us to go so sometimes that's feeding people who are hungry sometimes that's spending time with people who are sick sometimes that's comforting people who are heartbroken and yeah that takes energy out of us that that wears us down let's not pretend it doesn't let's not and and like Mary Magdalene doesn't pretend she's a superhero she's like boy was this fun to be the one everybody doubted let me go do it again but we keep doing it Um, and I I think that's an important notion here for, for for all of us, our sense of mission isn't we go out there because it's oh so much fun or it's always successful, but the Marys as well as the Ruths and Esthers and, and Deborahs sort of give us this picture of sometimes something needs done and we do it because it has to get done and it's that important. There's a level of empathy that I'm seeing with these women. I know, Sarah, you mentioned it when we were talking about Deborah at the mm. end of her song and the mm. empathy um, for um, the soldier's mother. Yeah. You know, and that's something that often is characterized as being something that women are really good at. Mm-hmm. But it's something that I think we all need to be working on, men yeah. and women. And I guess I feel more like um, whether someone has a natural proclivity toward one of, any one of these traits, courage or empathy or, or what have you, that in a sense these are like – uh, virtues that are things that can be practiced and you can these, these are things that can get developed and part of what the Christian community is is this community who lives a certain way and it develops practices that help make us all more more able to be courageous or empathetic or compassionate or you know whatever that list of uh, virtue and in, in a sense with the idea that in all things we're called to reflect the character of Christ so that that's something that men and women do boys and girls do all, all people are able to do and that where you see it well exemplified in the life of one person go yeah you know like Mary Magdalene did like she had to be afraid on Easter Sunday but she did it anyway that's important it, that reminds me of you know there's that, that famous I don't know it's a poem or a quote or whatever of Mother Teresa's and the gist goes something like um, if you're compassionate people might take advantage of you be compassionate anyway and if you work hard somebody might be upset that you worked hard be, you know, work hard anyway it's, and there's that repeated like do it anyway do it anyway do it anyway and in a sense I don't think Mother Teresa would have uh, claimed that that was an original idea to her but really in a sense like here's Mary who gives us a good example of that as well there are times where things that are so important you do it even if it's not going to be fun or easy but in a sense because you can't not do it because the the news is so deeply important; it needs to be shared, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's shared to people who aren't going to believe it and mm-hmm. treat it like Luke says as just idle chatter. <laughs> oh, those silly women and idle chatter! <laughs> oh, I know, right? There's a there's a line of G.K. Chesterton's that sticks in my head um, that I think needs to be said, even if it is widely open to, to misunderstanding or mishearing. But he says, "If a thing is worth doing." It's worth doing badly. And I like that notion that there are some things that are so vitally important that even if you know this is going to play out poorly, this is – so, you know, Mary has to think because she's running from the tomb. This is such good news, but these guys are totally not going to believe it. But she doesn't anyway. And that even – I mean even the the work of going to the tomb when they think they're there to anoint the, the body of Jesus, like th- that's a terrible, sad, heavy – that's, you know, that's a difficult – they're not professionals. We're just doing this because we're stricken with grief. That's what to do. Doing. I mean, he's already buried. Is it really worth <laughs> right, it? Right, 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 right. Also, he's been buried for a while. Yeah. He died right before Sabbath started at sundown. 
or something. Yeah, on Friday, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I heard somewhere that in the Middle East, you know, being buried in a tomb where it's mm-hmm. trapped, heat trapped. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't take long to decompose. Right, right, right. And, like, within a couple of days, you're unrecognizable. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, he's been in there for a bit and probably really gross, probably already yeah. not, <laughs> doesn't look like Jesus anymore. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a guy that's been dead for a while. And, I mean, like, th- this is an amazing thing to me, too, that, like, um, they're... That their willingness to, to go do this for their friend is is important, um, and that there's not any hint in any of the gospels of like um, let's all imagine, let's just remember him the way we knew him best before all that unpleasantness. That like th- sometimes that's our culture way of dealing with death yeah. is I don't want to think about anything unpleasant, so I'm just going to remember them only the happy smiley way. And I get that impulse. I mean, I get nobody wants to have their face rubbed in the, the ugliness of death, but the 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 early church, and certainly like all the way back to the New Testament, to Mary Magdalene and, and these women, like there wasn't this like, let's pretend we don't have to deal with the death part. Let's just stay home and remember Jesus uh, in our minds in this. But they're, they're going, it takes a whole other level of courage to face death that in that in that real way too. When, like we said, they could have just said, well, look, we did a quick job back on Friday, but that's enough. Keep the stone covered. That's all. We'll make a shrine on the outside and we'll just never go in. Um, and Mary has a certain courage that she's willing to do that. It turns out she doesn't need to. The stones rolled away. They don't have to. But that uh, they go with that sense of we're willing to stare death in the face, uh, which again is maybe another important picture for us as the followers of Jesus today. When it is really, really tempting for religious people to ignore death or to say, well, we're not going to be sad about death. The, the party line is be happy because they're in heaven. And like, no, we should be a community that's able to grieve and to be to be heartbroken with each other and to stare death in the face, sometimes in very ugly ways. And to know that resurrection comes through that or out of that, not because we ignored it and we only thought about happy things. Other things anybody else wants to make sure we, we say about this Mary, huh? <laughs> um you know, we, we could add that later Christian tradition has run with all sorts of interesting things about Mary that we're not talking about, but we've tried to highlight the things that do show up in the four Gospels, uh, and not just that the resurrection, but the way that we're given the hint that Mary Magdalene and other women had been there throughout the ministry of Jesus all along. So, um, I hope the conversation has been valuable, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. See you guys. See you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.